Turn with me in your Bibles, please. And let's venture together into John chapter 3. And I want to continue the thread that I've been sharing that the Lord has put me up to here as we approach these important weeks and this time of transition in the life of this fellowship and as we celebrate all that the Lord has done in the last five to six years. It's, it's been a wonderful journey thus far and we're so excited about what's to come. Um, religious tradition would uh, dictate that I share a message out of Luke 2 and talk about baby Jesus. But how many of you have heard a message about the birth of Christ? Raise your hand for me. Participate with me. Okay, keep your hand up just for a second. You, you've heard a message about the birth of Christ, yes? yes? All right, now I want you to keep your hand up. Let me ask you another question while you have your hands up. How many of you have heard a message about Jesus as the good shepherd? Another hand, more hands are going up. Jesus is the good shepherd. We understand that he shepherds his sheep. Keep your hand up for me. Okay, ready? How many of you have ever heard a message about Jesus as our apostle? Those of you that have your hands up, is it because you heard it two weeks ago? Yeah. yeah. Okay, what I just showed you is in essence the problem in the body of Christ. We know baby Jesus, and we know Pastor Jesus, but we have no idea who Apostle Jesus is. And what that translates into is a church that is over-pastored and under-fathered. When there's too much pastoring and not enough fathering, the church becomes a nursery. And people never grow up and then we construct a system and it is a system full of programs and full of games that are designed to keep you an infant. So we keep feeding you milk and we keep giving you itty bitty bites of bread because you don't have teeth yet. But people aren't actually growing in the Lord. Why? Because there's an absence of Apostle Jesus. Because there's an absence of Prophet Jesus. And this is a part of the distortion that's in the body of Christ that we are addressing. So a few weeks ago I shared a message called Becoming an Apostolic People. I want to continue down that road so you can call this Becoming an Apostolic People Part 2. And because it's been a few weeks because we've been traveling and on the road and of course we made room for Aaron Molesky to be here. I want to pick right back up in discussing the apostleship of Jesus. How many of you know that Jesus is your apostle? Amen. I want you to begin to pray and begin to relate to Jesus. Jesus, you're my apostle. Now I may not know what that means yet. I'm learning. But I want you to reveal the apostolic grace of who you are and would you impart it to my spirit why because I already said it we're over pastored we have people who actually think that the church exists to coddle them and to comfort them and while that is important it's also important that we grow up 
So these things are not in exclusion, but we don't deal with tension very well. But really it's as if our pastoral arm in the church is very strong and our apostolic and prophetic arm is very weak and very deformed. Even when you begin to discuss Christ as the apostle or the prophet, people start to struggle because of the absence of exposure to biblical truth. So when you say that Ephesians 4.11 tells us that Christ gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists and shepherds and teachers, we've started a whole war in the body of Christ. The doctrine of cessationism has taught us that the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit aren't for today. But there's almost no discussion on the fivefold ministry's existence for today. Because if you believe that the Holy Spirit doesn't give gifts and doesn't heal and doesn't speak today, then you also have to prove to me, and the burden of proof is on you, by the way, because the scripture makes it plain that these ministries are given until... There's a time sequence here. The word is McCree. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith. How many of you think the body of Christ has attained unifying faith? Lord, we're, we're deeply divided. Well, why are we so divided? I would submit to you that part of the division is the absence of fathers. And did you know that when the fathers are absent, the children squabble? And you see in the life of the Apostle Paul how he was bringing churches into order. He was making families out of a group of rebels because the spirit of the father was upon him apostolically and upon his sons Timothy and Titus and Epaphroditus and others who were commissioned by the Lord. Now when we say apostles, many people have heard of Peter and James and John and Thomas and Bartholomew and Thaddeus and the rest of them we we know the 12 apostles but we're not talking about the 12 apostles of the lamb we're talking about the ascension gift fivefold ministry of apostles that are given in the body of Christ so that we would reach the unity of the faith the maturity and the full stature of the son of God so Jesus being our apostle has given apostles in the earth and apostles are gifts to the body of Christ but because there's a misunderstanding and because there's fear or even intimidation or insecurity what we've done is we've largely kicked apostles and prophets out of the house of God and we've said let's gather up for ourselves pastors who will incessantly hug us how many of you need a hug I need a hug sometimes but you can't hug people out of hell You can't coddle people out of deception. What is this whole thing that we've done where it's like preach the gospel and if necessary use words. So the Lord Jesus came to earth. He was born a baby. It's what we're celebrating here. And he grew up and he said nothing. And he he just preached the gospel through his morally wonderful life. And people said, wow, have you heard of Jesus of Nazareth? He's just like so smiley and wonderful. Oh, here's Jesus sent by the Father. Would you say sent? Sent. 
It's important because it has everything to do with apostolic ministry. He was sent into the earth. So how in the world do you go from baby Jesus to apostles just like this? Christ was sent to earth as a baby in a manger. What we're celebrating is the apostolic birth of Christ. That he was sent to the earth. And the, well, why in the world would, would the magi and the, the wise men, why would the shepherds be moved by the star and they come and they, they worship? They're not worshiping a baby. They're worshiping the Messiah. They had revelation light that says, wow, this is God in the flesh. This is the Messiah whom our prophets have been prophesying about. He's worthy of worship. I wonder if we have the humility in our hearts to stoop low and worship baby King Jesus. Let me read you something about the birth of Christ and Him revealing the Father and tie this in today. The primary reason that Jesus came to earth was to reveal God the Father. Lord, I hope you know that by now if you've been in this ministry a while. The primary reason was to reveal God the Father. In this revelation, we see the Father's heart for humanity to be restored through the Son. Paul understood this and explained that the Father was in Christ Jesus, reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Furthermore, if Jesus' main mission was just to forgive sins, why not do it in a day or in a week? Why be born in a manger and grow up in Nazareth as a carpenter's son? Christ humbled himself and was made in the likeness of men to reveal the Father. Everything about his birth, childhood, life, death, and resurrection tells us something about our Father. His birth was humble and vulnerable, yes. His childhood was practical and intentional, yes. His life was meaningful and purposeful. His death was sacrificial and undeserved. His resurrection was astounding and glorious. Many people that are over-pastored think the whole point of Jesus coming to earth was to forgive us of our sins. And I fear that we think the whole point of the gospel is about us. When God is the gospel and God is God all by himself. And the highest good in the universe is the glory of God. And when you orient your life under these principles, that's how you can go through hardship and hell and suffering and know that all this somehow, some way is going to work out for my good and for His glory. So it positions you to trust your Father and know that Christ is with you, that He is Emmanuel, and you don't need somebody to puff you up and give you a pep rally all the time. You know that you know that you know why. Because you've met Apostle Jesus who has revealed God the Father to you. We need to start praying and saying, Father, thank you for fathering me well in my life. Did you know that fathers don't always give their kids what they want? All the dads, please say amen. If you're giving your children everything they want, you're not fathering them, you're coddling them. You're raising children that think life is all about them. One of our jobs as parents, moms and dads, is to raise children that know that life ain't all about you. It's all about Jesus. 
It's all about serving others. That actually if you live a life to fulfill your own desires, you will end up miserable. But if you live a life to glorify God and to serve others and to be a blessing, you will end up far more blessed than you could ever imagine. But I fear that we've turned the whole thing on its head and we think that this is all about us. And Christ and His apostolic sentness comes to reveal the Father and to show us, I'm not an orphan. I'm not without parenting. I'm not without the help of the Holy Spirit who is called the Spirit of Adoption. So the Holy Spirit lives in you and the Holy Ghost wants to reveal the Father to you so that you feel and know and experience the fatherhood of God. But how many people just relate to God as the cosmic distant creator who is uninterested in my life? In the birth of Christ, we see that God is brought close, that he's brought near, that we couldn't get to God. That we couldn't keep his laws. That we couldn't please him or make him happy. Ultimately we were falling and we were choosing our own way. And God when he could not find a man, he became a man. When he could not find one who could keep all his laws, he came and he kept his own laws and fulfilled them to demonstrate righteousness to us. So that we would know, wow, this is what God is really like. I don't have to live in mystery. I don't have to live in wonder. Nobody can deceive me about who God is because Christ has revealed the Father to me. But Paul gives this strange warning in his letters a few times. And he talks to the churches about following another Jesus. He talks about being deceived by a different spirit, a different gospel, and another Jesus. Well, I want to warn you that American Jesus is alive and well. And many people are following American Jesus right into hell. Because it's not Christ at all. It's another Jesus. How many voices in the multitudes are trying to pet you in your sin and tell you God doesn't really care what you do with your life. There's grace. I'm, I'm beloved of the Lord and therefore what I do doesn't really matter. God will just always love me. The Father will always love you but sin will damage the condition of your heart and your relationship with the Father. He said, if you love me, you will and keep my commands. But when you're under this false grace from another Jesus, you hear about obedience and you think it's legalism when really it's worship. How do I worship God? I obey God. I do what he's asked me to do. I do what he's commanded. Even when my feelings or my flesh are raging, I submit myself to the word of God. I submit myself to the fatherhood of God. And when you know God as father, as was so magnificently testified this morning by Jill, when you know God as father, 
Everything begins to shift. And it's not about what you want or what you can get out of your life. It's how you can serve your father and honor your father and give him glory. And I'm telling you, something shifts and clicks and links up in your soul. And you go, wow, this is why I was made. But without the revelation of the Father, we just think that this is all about us. How can I get my needs met? One more quip about the church. My God, we've made it all about comforting people. We have a a ministry here in this city that they put out broadcasts over the radio at this time every year for their Christmas services. And it says, dim lights and easy exits in case you change your mind. Come to our Christmas service. There's dim lights and easy exits. So if I'm ashamed of God, He'll be ashamed of me. Is that what Jesus said? Oh, preaching Bible Jesus. But we know another Jesus. We know another Jesus that says, it's okay that you're ashamed of me. It's okay that nobody in your life even knows you're a believer. It's okay that you live in sin and think it's not. That's not Christ. That is the spirit of the age of lawlessness that does not want to submit itself to the rule and reign of Christ. So Jesus in his life shows us How to be fathered. The word of God says in Hebrews that Jesus learned obedience how? Through that which he suffered. Jesus knew in becoming a man and starting as a baby and growing up in humble circumstances that he was being sent to the earth to suffer. He knew the prophecies. He understood them. He grew in wisdom and stature and favor with both God and man. Luke 2.52 says. And he was growing and learning. I'm here to give my life and suffer and die. That life might enter my people. That I might reconcile them back to God. That they might know God for themselves. And Jesus came and was sent by the Father. To reveal the Father. And then once he fully revealed the Father, he left nothing undisclosed. Then once he revealed the Father, he returned to the Father. This is the apostolic ministry and nature of Christ Jesus. I want to dive further into discussing the ministry of apostles today. Why? Because I think it's one of the greatest needs of the hour. I think there is so much misunderstanding just here in a few weeks. If you would pray for me, I'm going to be teaching an entire recorded course in a a Bible college about the fivefold ministry. And while I'm excited to talk about prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers, what I really feel a burden for is the total confusion about apostolic ministry. Because the reason why we're confused about apostolic ministry is because there has been abuse and neglect in the body of Christ. So in every restoration, there's exaggeration. Follow me here. In every restoration, there's exaggeration, right? It just happens. It's a part of how... Right now, God is restoring deliverance ministry to the earth. Yes, I hope you know this. 
But there's a lot of exaggeration and you got people that literally think it's the, well, what's, uh, my ministry is deliverance. No, your ministry is to the Lord. Deliverance is one aspect of it. But there's a demon under every rock and under every... And we need to break off 86 curses and come to my 15 week. And I'm like, yeah, here's the blood of Christ. Amen. Come on. Uh, don't, don't tell me that there's something that, that's abiding in your life that insults the blood of Jesus that He can't set you free from. Why? Because Christ is exalted over all. He's ruling and reigning. He's seated on the throne of God. It says that God made His enemies His footstool. But here we are in our little charismania, exaggeration, restoration movement. Like, wow, we need to break this off of you and this off of you and this off of you. And we'll be here all the way until next month. And I believe in deliverance ministry, but I don't believe in exaggeration and hype and weirdness. Cast the thing out and move on. Get filled with the Holy Ghost and live a free life. But you'll really get set free if you buy my course for $49.99. Merry Christmas. Turn with me, John 3. Let's look at Apostle Jesus. The one who was sent to us. Just one verse here. John 3, verse 34. John the Baptist says about Jesus, For he whom God has sent, would you say sent? Speaks the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. So was Jesus sent by God? What was he sent by God to do? Speak his words, reveal his heart. The character and nature of God is revealed in Christ. Yes, are you still tracking with me? Okay, I cannot resist the temptation since we're talking about another Jesus. Just keep reading with me. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. Verse 36. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. Another Jesus says, you know what? You're under the favor of God whether you know God or not. Wrong. Favors for the children of God. See, we preach the gospel that has so much mayonnaise on it. I don't even like mayonnaise. I rebuke you. So much mayonnaise on it. That the gospel that we hear offers no benefits for believers. God just feels the same way about everybody and we're all His children. Y'all here? You been reading your Bible lately? Don't let somebody deceive you. You can't be a son or a daughter until you know the Father. Until Christ has revealed Him to you. If you're in the world... Does God cause all things to work together for your good? No. no, you get chaos in the crazy train. And then the crazy train lets you off and you get on an even crazier train. I'm not saying give your life to Jesus and all of a sudden everything will line up. I am saying you'll have a peace within your soul that you've never known. 
that even if life is wild and tumultuous, you will have an anchor. I've got this hope within me because it's Christ Jesus revealed in my life. But if you do not obey the Son, the wrath of God, did we just read it? The wrath of God remains on them. So what if we preach the gospel to people and said, Hey, if you do not repent and give your life to Christ, you will not be saved from the wrath of God. But you can be saved from the wrath of God today, right now. Accept and receive Jesus Christ, not into your heart, as the Lord of your life. That you would submit to His Lordship. Repent of your sins. Turn from the world and live your life for Him. See, but another Jesus just says, you know, you can accept me and nothing really change. You, you can accept me and we can baptize you and everybody clap and you're still the same drug dealer, abuser, hater, sexually immoral person you were before. How many of you know that's not the gospel? The gospel is a gospel of total transformation. As in, there are no stories in the Bible where someone encounters God and nothing happens to them. But we've invented a Jesus where you can meet Him and you're still the same person. I know people who met Christ and everything changed. I didn't say they went from dysfunctional to perfect. I said they went from broken to being healed. They went from proud and arrogant and ashamed to saturated in the mercy of God and walking in true humility, confessing their need for God. Be saved from the wrath of God. That's Bible preaching. We have invented a gospel in America that leads with the love of God. Do you want to wrestle with Bible Jesus? Read the book of Acts. They didn't preach God loves you so much. I know you want to tell me God so loved the world He gave His only begotten Son. I believe it. Praise the Lord. But if you don't respond to His offering that He desires that none would perish, you will spend forever in the lake of fire. You will not get out. Your family can't buy you out. There's no such thing as purgatory. It ain't in the Word of God. People, somebody dies, they pray for them. They're dead. Their life is over. Our life could end right now. You could walk out of this building and die in a car accident. Do you know with assurance where you would go if you died today? Because the hope of the gospel reveals Christ to you. And you know, I know Him and He knows me. He knows me. He loves me. He's revealed Himself to me. And even when I try to run away, here comes the Father chasing me and saying, Oh, don't do that. And when I turn around, he's running towards me. He's looking at me from a long way off. Come Come home, my son. Come home, my daughter. This is our good father. But we must reject, reject the false Jesus of a different spirit and a different gospel that is telling many in this nation, that is being preached from many pulpits right now. Give your life to God. And then just go to work. 
Accept Jesus into your heart. And then argue about what's for lunch. We have lowered the bar so far. It ceases to have the substance of real salvation in it. This isn't a hard message. This is a true message. We've done this thing where it's like, wow, that's, that's hard truth. No, the hearts of people are hard. And, and we view some things as harder to accept because of our own pride. But when God infuses real humility in your soul, you develop an attitude that sounds like this. Just say it. Just tell me the truth. I don't need you to butter me up and sugarcoat it and try not to offend me. Just tell me the truth. If I have a booger in my nose, just tell me. If I don't have any hair on my head, just tell me. Go bald, Paul. But part of the spirit of the age is offense. You're hurting my feelings. And it's like, well, how do we get people into the kingdom but not tell them about hell? You don't. Did Jesus talk about the lake of fire? Did Jesus talk about being cast into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth? Are these things that Christ himself said? But we have scholars in the earth, hundreds of them, that can tell you that the 80 plus references to Gehenna and hell and Hades don't actually mean what Jesus said. They mean something else. Really, it's just a candy store and you get lollipops in hell. Now, Jesus told the story of I'm thirsty, I'm I'm dying of thirst. Just give me a drink of water. There's no water in hell. And the newsboys told us that they don't serve breakfast in hell either. A few of you got that. Thank you, Lord, for the early 2000s revelation. Glory to God. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 4. Second Corinthians chapter 4. And I want to continue this discussion about the ministry of apostles today. How many of you remember those points I was on a roll a few weeks ago talking about apostolic function? The first one was foundation. You all remember that? So in discussing apostolic function in the ministry of apostles today, I was basically sharing a word bank with all of you because I want us to understand rightly the function and ministry of apostles in the earth today. Why is it so important? Because it causes us to have right expectations of people. There is a lot of frustration in the body of Christ because we have asked people and wanted people to pastor us that are not pastors. If you go to many churches, what are they titling the lead people? Pastor. Can I ask you where we got that from? Not the Bible. There's only one reference to pastors, the ministry of pastors in the Word of God. It's in Ephesians 4.11. I quoted it earlier. But we have a pastoral utopia culture where everybody is pastoral. How many of you know not everybody's pastoral? How many of you know that you actually don't want a prophet to counsel you? Unless he's got shepherding grace in his or her life. How many of you know you want an evangelist outwinning souls? 
But what we've done is asked evangelists to be pastors or evangelists think they should be pastors because they've got the call of God on their life and they end up preaching to the same saved people every week and they're missing the boat of what God has anointed them and gifted them to do because the system of religion does not allow them to fulfill the call of God. But I've got good news for you. God is shaking up the whole system. He's breaking all the boxes. And He's setting people free so that everybody can follow the Lord for themselves. Like just do the will of God. It is paramount to your existence on earth that you obey Jesus. And when a system and a structure prevents you and restricts you, From obeying Jesus, it is born of hell itself. Much of what the church has birthed does not have the grace of Christ in it because it does not recognize the fivefold ministry of apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. I tell people, I think about the fivefold ministry every day, and they're like, Whoa, cool. Is that like your obsession? No, this is the Word of God. This is New Testament 101. If we do not understand the fivefold ministry, we will not build and we will not embrace and enjoy the New Testament church as God ordained her to be. So we'll show up for miracles, we'll show up for healings, we'll show up for the results, but we don't want to do the hard work of embracing the Word of God and saying, I want the pattern of Scripture so that I can see His presence and power. But here's what many are doing. We're asking God to bless our pastorally obsessed hierarchies that the Lord Himself didn't build. And if He didn't build it, He can't fully bless it. Y'all still here? Let's put up point number one. The ministry of apostles today. I'll run through the first few. Number one is foundation. The ministry of apostles today. Number one, they lay foundation. I gave you a few of these But we didn't finish them. The goal right now is to try to get through these and finish them. This is about the ministry of apostles today. Number one is foundation. Apostles lay the foundation of Christ. Apostles, number two, revelation. Reveal the person of Christ. Apostles as well as prophets. Ephesians 2.20 tells us that they have revelation insight into the purpose, into the, the mission, into the person of Christ. When you hear apostles and prophets preaching, there's a spirit of revelation on them. And I said this a few weeks ago, that some people are, they're just revelators. There's just things that fly out of their mouths that they weren't planning on saying where you're like, what in the world? There's such a grace and an eloquence. It's not just a, a gift for public speaking. It's the apostle or the prophet Christ being revealed through their ministry so that when you are under or around or exposed to the ministry of apostles and prophets, you get deep foundation laid inside of you with clear revelation of this is who Christ really is. How are we doing? Okay, number three is impartation. Apostles impart the fatherhood of God to the church. Apostles themselves are spiritual fathers. We mentioned that this has nothing to do with age. I'm grateful that I was raised in a home where I wasn't raised as a boy. I was raised as a man. I was talked to about manhood at 10 years old. 
I had expectations and responsibilities that were placed upon me and it wasn't like my parents were waiting for me to turn 18 and oh now you're a man, get out of the house. That is worldly. I was being trained and raised up and built up and disciplined and modeled and expected to serve. But y'all, we live in a generation where people are like, my kids don't want to come to church. Your child is 10 years old. Put your clothes on and get in the car. Why? Because I'm your father. I'm your mother. You are given to me as a stewardship by God. I'm going to give an account to the Lord for how I stewarded your life. And I fear God more than I fear your temper tantrum. There's an impartation of the father that we learn fatherlessness is a curse. Fatherlessness may be the single root cause of all the issues in this nation. Children being raised and thinking, I deserve a raise. And it's like, you don't even have a W-2. You're ready for senior level executive management. You want to wear the suit and sit around the table. And you don't even know how to ring up an order. Because we've not been fathered. We've been coddled. Remember, mama told us you can do anything. You're amazing. You have all, you're going to be the president. No, you're not. Because fathers disillusion us. Fathers don't just beat us down. Fathers say, no, this is what you're really good at. This is what I see in you. Let me walk you and help you and train you and build into you and encourage you so that you can fulfill your God-given assignment, not try to be somebody else. So fathers impart an authenticity and a freedom. You just be you. You just have fun. You just be who God created you to be and follow what he's put in your heart with all of your heart. That's the impartation that comes through apostolic fatherhood. There's also the impartation of the gifts of the spirit and wisdom for life in the kingdom. We covered that moving quickly. Number four is reproduction. The ministry of apostles today carry a reproduction to them. Whereas fathers, how many of you know you're not a father unless you... Reproduce. Reproducing what? Reproducing themselves. Reproducing Christ in others where there is a reproduction. Here's where we got it all wrong. Pastoral ministry in America is about everybody depending more and more on you. Y'all still here? More and more on you. And the more people that depend on you every week, the more successful you are. But deep down inside, they're crumbling, they're dying, they're hating their lives. They hate their job, but they can't quit because this is how I feed my family. I'm trapped in a system of religion. Oh, help me, God. And rather than people being dependent upon us, we should be reproducing sons and daughters that are dependent upon the Lord. Where we're actually raising and training up leaders, where we're looking to give it away. The goal of ministry is to give ministry away. The goal of ministry is to work yourself out of a job. But I find that the church is the only place where we don't like it when people actually work themselves out of a job. Well, what if we had more pastors and ministers and people that said, you know, I feel that God has released me and that I've fulfilled my assignment and the Lord has given me my next assignment. But we do it like Schmeagel, my pastor. 
my precious. Why? Because the spirit of religion makes people possessive of their leaders and leaders possessive of people. Was my worship team and my deacons and my, 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 my. Does this belong to the Lord or not? Is it really for him or is it for you? Is it meeting a need inside of you or is it for Jesus? God is raising up leaders in the earth who are willing to reproduce and who are willing to take a back seat so that somebody else could stand in the front lines and fulfill their ministry. My conviction about apostolic ministry is that yes, they are the point on the end of the spear of the fivefold, but their role is to grow and develop and train the other ministries so that they reach their kingdom destiny. So when you get around real apostolic fathers, they don't want to take the mic from you, they want to give it to you. They want to see you fulfill what God placed you here to do. You say, well, how does that work? Well, once everybody's ready, they just go father more people. And they reproduce and impart and lay foundation and reveal Christ. Does that make sense? Number five. The ministry of apostles today is maturation. Apostles are given to the body of Christ to mature her, to grow her up. Many people that did not have fathering or a father present in their life struggled with simple things that they should have learned as a child. And there are many things in the body of Christ that people have not yet learned. And somehow we're proud of somebody that's been saved 15 years that has never led one single other person to the Lord, but we rejoice that they tithe. Well, you're so mature, you give 10% of your money to your church. Like, the Pharisees tithed, right? Jesus still called them lovers of money. It's quiet in here. Why? God wants us to grow up. He wants us to mature. He wants us to depend totally and completely on Him. You know, the whole goal is really to equip and position people in such a way That you go do for others what somebody did for you. Where the goal, where actually how we measure maturity is you being able to bear the load and help and serve other people. Where you don't need to be encouraged every day. You're encouraging other people every day. Because you've met Christ. You know Him for yourself. You've got a revelation that sticks with you. And you don't have such a need on man. You have dependence upon the Lord. That's maturity. Y'all still here? Let's keep going. Number six is reformation. Apostles carry reformation. I told you. I submit to you. That prophets labor for revival. Apostles labor for reformation. We need both in the body of Christ. We need to be awakened and revived, but we also need a systemic change in how the church functions and operates. We have a wineskin that cannot hold the outpouring of the Holy Spirit because God begins to pour it out and it stretches and stretches and stretches until it tears because we need a new wineskin. We don't need to keep putting old wine into old wineskins. A wineskin is a system, if you will. It's a way of thinking. It's a a model and a structure. God wants to reform His church. He wants to restore the fivefold ministry in the earth. He wants to restore elders and deacons to His church. 
Why? Because there are no senior pastors in the Bible. There are elders, plural, and deacons, the two offices of the New Testament church, that are serving and laboring together that Christ would be formed in the people and there's a living body built together that's working the works of Jesus as a community. That's New Testament DNA. That's real reformation. Number seven is confrontation. This is the last one we got to last time. The ministry of apostles today. Apostles carry a confrontational nature to them. Please let me clarify. Apostles are not bullies. Apostles are not CEOs. See, Peter Wagner got it very wrong when he wanted to kick out the pastors and put in the apostles. That's not what we're talking about. We need the fullness of the fivefold ministry laboring together in harmony. We need apostolic oversight and pastoral oversight working together so that Christ can be seen in his church. But the confrontational nature is really towards false doctrine towards false brethren, towards false apostles themselves. It's really that they're champions of the bride. Why? Because true apostles are fathering servants. They're not the big guys with the sticks and the gold rings. But we've created a hierarchy. And this is why everybody wants to be an apostle. Because they think it means they get to be the boss. When real apostles wash feet, did Jesus tell the apostle Peter, tend my lambs? Oh, well, so much for, you know what? You're just too broken to hang around me. I just hang around the commanders. Does that sound like a father? Like if one of your kids were hurting, you would just say, well, too bad. No, God the Father cares about the hearts of his people. And true fathering apostles deeply care and love about the well-being of the church. Paul actually said, let's go and see how all the churches we planted are doing. Let's go see about their well-being. Let's go ask them, how are you? How can we serve you? But when you begin to talk about apostles, people think all kinds of strange things. Why? Because we've taught Another apostolic ministry. We've lifted up the the guys in the limousines in the green rooms rather than fathering servants who love and lay down their life for the sheep. You know that preaching that is a confrontation, right? Number eight is crucifixion. This is the ministry of apostles today. I asked you to turn to 2 Corinthians 4. If you're still there, read with me in verse 7. Paul says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not from ourselves. We are promoted in every way. Did I miss it? What does it say? Come on, shout at me. Afflicted, hard pressed. You ready for a description of apostolic ministry? You ready to hear how wonderful it is? We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, 
but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Ready for this? Always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus. That the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake. That the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Get this. So death works in us, but life in you. In Galatians 3.1, Paul makes this profound statement. And he asks the church in Galatia, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before whom, listen to this, before whom Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Hold on a minute. He's writing to the church in Galatia. You foolish Galatians, who tricked you? How did you get deceived when Christ was publicly crucified in front of you? How far away is Galatia from Jerusalem? A long way. Hundreds of miles Galatia and Phrygia and some of those names and acts, those are in modern-day Turkey. And we know that Jerusalem is in modern-day Israel, yes? Yes. I stand with Israel, yes? Yes? Yes. Yes. How far away is Galatia from Jerusalem? A long way off. So what does it mean? You foolish Galatians, who tricked you? Before which Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Jesus wasn't publicly in front of them dying. He died in Jerusalem. The apostle Paul showed up and was crucified before them. He lived the crucified life. He always ate last. Everybody benefited from his life. He was poured out as a drink offering. He's saying, I revealed Christ crucified to you. How did somebody deceive you and teach you another Jesus when that's not Christ who I modeled in your midst? Carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus. Did Jesus show up and ask for servants? Did Jesus, my God, did Jesus have an entourage? Did Jesus have people that were just making sure that he didn't have any dust in his hair and any speckles in his feet? Or did Jesus say, if I then being the Lord and Master wash your feet, you, should all, you ought to wash one another's feet. Did he set an example of service for us, of love and sacrifice for us? Oh, but here come the American apostles that say, you tithe to your church, but you also tithe to me. And here's my business card. I'm awesome. And I want to vomit. Because there's something about apostolic elitism that is a stench in the nostrils of God. And if I ever get a chance, I want to eradicate it from the church. Even if it means I offend everybody and their mom. Because it's not right, it's not healthy, and it is a misrepresentation of the Father Himself. It's wrong. It needs to die. When somebody shows up and they tell you, I'm apostle so-and-so, don't walk, run. 
True apostles don't need you to know they're an apostle. They never wanted to be an apostle because they recognize this is the sentence of death. This is crucified life ever before me. This is my life is not my own. I don't get to do what I want. I get to do what he wants. And I'm going to die and suffer and struggle in ways that you will not. Why? Because it's God's choice to pour me out that you might benefit and be blessed. That's what apostolic ministry is. Isn't that what fathers do? Good fathers, healthy fathers want to benefit and bless their children. Good fathers don't say like we did in the old days, well, I take a bath first and I eat first. No, real fathers say, serve the kids, make sure there's enough, I'll eat last. As church leadership, when we have gatherings, we let you go first. When there's a lot of people here and we serve communion, we let you go first. Why? We want to make sure that you get the body and blood and you get a hamburger. Because it's the heart of God. Oh, church is about me and my wants and my needs. Why? Because selfishness has crept in and corrupted us. There's no life in living for yourself. I look at people in the world and I just feel sad. Dear Lord, you have all these gifts and talents. You're an amazing person. But you're spending it all on you and living for you and seeking your own pleasure. And really, how many more celebrities have to kill themselves? Have to hang themselves from ropes to, for us to figure out uh, life isn't in money, life isn't in fame, life isn't in notoriety, life is in Christ Himself. And if I could know Him and just touch the hem of His garment, I would never be the same. I would never lack for anything. Jesus told the woman at the well, You'll drink from water and you'll never thirst again. Lord, give me some of this drink. I want a drink of living water that comes from your heart. I want to eat of the bread of heaven. No, you really don't need anything else. You don't need another program and another game and seven steps. And every day's a Friday. What you need is Christ Jesus. A living, breathing, life-giving relationship. With the Father, through Christ, through the Holy Spirit. That's what needs to be preached to the church in the earth today. Not here's five ways to improve your life. And here's three quick ways to make your holidays a little less miserable. Help us, Lord. Crucifixion. As apostles are chosen by God to suffer, to carry His glory and the aroma of death daily. This was Paul's commission in Acts 9 when God encountered him. He didn't say, I've appointed you to be number one over the church. He said, I've appointed you to go first and suffer greatly as an instrument for my name. Are we still okay? Merry Christmas. Never heard a message about apostles on Christmas Eve. (laughs) Baby Jesus, our apostle. Thank you, Lord. Emmanuel, God with us. We worship you, Apostle Jesus. Number nine is in tandem with crucifixion. It's resurrection. I know that we preach death in this ministry a lot. And I like it. Because I need it. Lest I think that it's all about me. But I want to remind this church. That the equation doesn't stop at death. That it's not about just giving up your dreams. And dying and losing it all. It's about gaining Christ. 
It's about knowing resurrection life and power. It's about experiencing a peace that surpasses all understanding. It's about knowing a grace that you didn't earn but is sufficient for you. It's about a love that washes away all your fears. That sets you free so that you can serve the Lord with all you've got. It's that resurrection life that puts joy deep down on the inside of you. So that when pain and trouble and hell is raging against you, you can say, I've got this joy and it won't let go it's not that I can't let go of it it's that it won't let go of me joy Jesus the joy resurrection life and power has got a hold of my soul and even when I try to run he says you get back here and let me tell you who you really are did you feel the resurrection life of the Holy Spirit We've got to grow in our spiritual sensitivity. Because carnal people look at those moments and say, Wow, everybody got loud. (laughs) Some people started crying. Oh, there was breakthrough in the Holy Ghost. Because there was weariness and despair that was trying to chew on some of you. That God just flicked it right off of you. Just brushed it right off of your shoulder. Go back to hell where you came from, weariness. Do not grow weary in doing good. For one day we will reap so great a reward we can't even imagine. Number 10. These are all sermons, by the way. But right now they're points. I believe the Lord would lead me to write a book one day, but that's not the season. Number 10 is demonstration. Demonstration of what? Their significance. Why do we do this thing where we see people get introduced in other churches and they spend five minutes talking about themselves? Hi, my, my name is so-and-so. I come from this great ministry, knew this great person, and it's like a name drop for... Uh, uh, listen, if you feel the urge to establish your credibility, just stop and let God do it. If you need to promote yourself to get people to listen to you, consider the fact that you may be trying to reach people that God's not authorized you to. Because the moment's still too big for you, you're not dead enough. So demonstration is of signs and wonders and miracles. The miraculous flows out of the ministry of apostles. There's healings, there's demonstrations of power that take place through the ministry that God has given apostles. But here's where we got it all wrong again. Is we marketed the miracles. We recorded the healings. And instead of giving God glory, we built a bigger platform for ourselves. When was the last time that God worked a miracle through your life and He said, tell no one? We think every time God does something miraculous, we're supposed to go tell everybody. The Holy Spirit may lead you to shh. Because He doesn't want you to start talking about it and deep down you think you had something to do with it. I believe in testimony. I believe in sharing. I believe in, but you know what you can say? People want to testify. You can say, hey, when when you tell the church, just don't mention my name. You, You don't actually have to say, Austin prayed for me. 
You can say, we were in a time of prayer and Jesus healed me. That way everybody's looking at Christ, not forming a prayer line for the healers. It's really awkward when people just come up and demand something like hamsters sucking on a bottle in a cage. Now, this is what we need from you. It feels like usury rather than relationship. So there is a demonstration of signs and wonders and miracles that authenticate the ministry of apostles. But before Paul lays out that list, he uses these words. In all patience. In endurance, demonstrating the true signs, wonders, and miracles. Apostolic fathers are extremely patient. They're willing to endure and suffer hardship. Even if it takes longer than they ever imagined, they have one mission, to form Christ in you. So that we could grow up into the maturity and fullness of the stature of Jesus. Can you see how apostles are missing in the earth today? Can you see the trap that apostles fall into in the American system? Where they end up pastoring what God planted through them? And they're out of divine order. They're in a realm and a lane and a space that God's not asked them to fulfill. Because rather than a reproduction, it's a production. It's a big show. We're here to hear from the man of God. What if we came to hear from God himself? What if we got rid of Moses going up on the mountain to tell us who God is and we fell so in love with the lamb on the throne that we knew who he was for ourselves? What if we fell so in love and deep encounter with Jesus that we didn't need someone to puff us up and encourage us to worship? We lived before the throne of God. So when that music started, it's not like worship just began. No, we just entered into a scene in heaven that's been going on for all of eternity. And I just begin to open up my heart and the sails Of my soul and allow the wind of God to move me. Because seeing Jesus is worshiping Jesus. The reason why worship is dead and stale and dry. In so many places is because nobody can see Jesus. But when you see Jesus you only have one option. It's to worship him. Because he's so beautiful. So majestic. So wonderful. So holy. So set apart and other than. That to behold Him and to know Him and to walk with Him is the great treasure of all of life. And you don't need somebody to encourage you to go get the treasure. You start diving and digging for yourself. Number 11. Let's finish these. There's 35 of them. Just kidding. (laughs) Number 11 is activation. Apostles carry a unique grace to stir up the gift of God, to stir up spiritual gifts and graces in the body of Christ. Apostles are uniquely used but not exclusively used to administer the baptism in the Holy Spirit. When 
Philip goes in Acts chapter 8 as an evangelist and Samaria is one and they hear the word of the Lord. They call for Peter and John and Peter and John as apostles come and they lay hands on them and people that have believed in Jesus are now filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues and prophesying and the activity of the Holy Ghost is breaking out. How many of you know you can be saved but not filled? You can have a splash of salvation, but God wants total saturation. He doesn't want you to need another sermon series and Christmas at the movies and popcorn and pajamas. He wants you, Bennett, pajamas. He wants you to know Him for yourself. I don't need to be entertained. I've come to be equipped. I've come to learn. I've come to grow. I've come to be activated. I've come to be moved. I've showed up for war, not a nap. But I've found that this stuff is really rude when people come in and they want it to be a lily pad when it's a launching pad. We've turned the church into this padded room where we all sit and be quiet and just lick our wounds and live as victims. And God wants to break into that room and say, you're my son, you're my daughter. What I did for you is bigger than anything that ever happened to you. It's time for you to step forward and realize you're not on earth so that you can feel sorry for yourself. You're on earth to give me glory and to point to me. I want you to make me famous. That's what Christ revealed. It gets you activated and you realize I've got a purpose and a reason for being on the earth. And it's so much bigger than attending a church. Ooh, we don't ask people if they're born again. We ask them, where do you go to church? Who cares? You could go to church and still go to hell. A whole lot of people are, by the way. Oh, you want to get activated and equipped like I've got breath in my lungs to fulfill a unique purpose and mission that God gave me. But here's where it's awesome is it's so much bigger than your own personal call. It's actually about you developing and growing in the body of Christ and serving her. Why? We think too much individually and we need an upgrade to generationally. I want to leave wealth and spiritual health to my children because that's what good fathers and grandfathers do. How would you feel if your grandfather was a multimillionaire and he spent his last week on earth spending $50 million on himself? Would you feel that your grandfather was selfish? But what if he said it was all for me? It was my individual. No, God wants us to think generationally. It actually says of David in Acts that he fulfilled the purpose within his generation. He knew that he had a call. He wanted to build a house for God. But the Lord said, no, your son Solomon is going to build it. But it's enough that it was in your heart to do it for me. And it says David went and gathered up all the gold and all the silver and all the things that were needed. And he brought them to his son Solomon. And then as a father, as an apostolic type, David cheered on his son Solomon. You go! Look at how wonderful and magnificent this temple is. Praise the Lord! Let's get musicians and singers in here and let's blow the roof off this place because Jesus is worthy. That's what he wants to do in his church. 
my God, if a bunch of Hebrews, if a bunch of Israelites could gather around with little harps and lyres and strings, and they could sing and they could worship and they could prophesy, what are we doing with our rock concerts? Where everybody sticks their hands in their pockets and clutches their coffee like it's about to be stolen from them. Like some people grab their coffee so tight, I'm like, you know that no one's trying to mug you, right? Why? Because we think I'm uncomfortable. Maybe people getting uncomfortable is people getting saved. Maybe them feeling conviction over their sins and their lifestyle that doesn't please God is actually the work of the Holy Spirit. And we should not interrupt this. We should bless this. Why? Because truth by nature is exclusive. There's only one way to heaven. His name is Christ Jesus. You either know Him and He knows you or you don't. Are you activated? I pray. Apostles carry the ability to provoke what lies dormant inside of people. Apostles and prophets help to identify and help to position the fivefold in the body. I would say it like this. Apostles and prophets, by God's grace, are able to see the ministries and the gifts in people before they ever manifest or develop. Not like, oh, wow, look, that was a great sermon. You got a call on your life. I mean, before the sermon and while they're still in sin. Saying, no, 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 I see this in you. I see the gift of God in you. And they begin to call out and call forth and activate. Part of activation is agitation. Alarms are rude, yes? You don't want to be woken up, but you need to wake up. We've got stuff to do. You get the point. Number 12. Only 23 more to go. Is mobilization. Apostles mobilize the body and they equip her and they send her out to pioneer new territories and to raise up armies to influence every sphere of society. Let me say this. Apostles are mobilized in their ministry. Why? Because it's the definition of who they are in in Christ. They're sent. They're sent ones. They're constantly being sent and then being sent and returning and being sent out. You see the mobilized ministry of the apostles Paul and Barnabas in Acts 13 when the Holy Spirit says, Separate unto me Saul and Barnabas for the work to which I've called them. Now we know there are prophets and teachers in Antioch, but the Holy Ghost doesn't ask for them to be mobilized. Why? Teachers are localized in their ministries. And teachers help to teach and equip and train the saints on the ground. But the apostles are mobilized. And in his second missionary journey, Paul travels with Silas, who is a prophet. So you have an apostolic and a prophetic team together, mobilized and sent out to do the work of ministry. Now They didn't show up and take offerings from churches. They were supported. They were backed. They worked when they needed to. They were willing to do whatever it takes. Not to be a burden to people, but to be a blessing. 
So we've got to understand that missionaries aren't apostles. Many missionaries are actually evangelists. Their heart is burning to see people come to Christ all over the world. But they're not going to go and plant churches and set in elders. They're going to go and lead people to Christ as best they can and host massive crusades. And they're not doing anything wrong, but we need to get those massive crusades filled with the Holy Ghost and set in order in the house of God. And that's how the apostolic and evangelistic works together. We see this in Acts chapter 8. But there's a mobilized element to apostolic ministry that just by being sent, that sentness can spill off onto you. And you begin to realize, man, I, I may not have a, a, a traveling this or that, but you know what? I get in my car every day and I go to work. I, I meet with people and I, I interact with people that don't know the Lord. I need to get mobilized and equipped and trained so that I can lead them to the Lord. Because why? I've been activated and I've been activated. Now I've been mobilized. Now I've been sent out. Apostolic churches send out teams. What we did in Northern Ireland in August was highly apostolic. Why? It was a blessing. We went there as a team and we shifted the culture. I'm telling you that we, as a fragrant offering, together in unity, shifted the atmosphere. And whoever told you that God can't move in Northern Ireland, no, I'm here to tell you it was raining. It was pouring in the Holy Ghost. Why? Because an apostolic team came forth out of this house and demonstrated the works of Christ. We went from night one of five nights in a tent to people with their hands in their pockets, sitting down, looking angry, to the next night we were running around the entire tent, hundreds of people waving flags and dancing. Now you can't manipulate people into that. We didn't threaten anybody. We just invited people into resurrection, life, and power, and we had a blast, did we not? We got mobilized. When you're under pastoral ministry, it's about seeding capacity. Apostolic ministry is about sending capacity. It's about how many can we send out? How many can we train up? How many can we release into their God-given destiny? Not how can we keep everybody happy? Do you see the difference? Number 13 is collaboration. I mentioned this earlier, but apostles collaborate. They work together in teams alongside of other fivefold ministries and other gifts. We see that Paul and Barnabas are separated for the work of ministry as apostles in Acts 13. But then a few chapters later, we see that Paul and Silas, an apostle and a prophet, are traveling together. And then by Acts chapter 20, if you look in verse 4, you see that Paul and them have an entire company around them. Why? Because they're collaborating together. There's not a selfishness of, I need everybody to know that my ministry's in town. No, Jesus is in town. There's a new sheriff. We're here to take over this place for Jesus. 
This is apostolic collaboration where apostles are the ones who want to give it away. Who want to see people succeed. Who are willing to go as fathers and smile. How many times in my life have my own spiritual father sat in meetings where I was ministering and smiled at me? And said, great job. And said, I believe in you. This is the heart of the Father. This is what collaboration looks like. This is what team looks like. But do you know Jesus said, to whom much is given, much is required. And the immense benefit and tremendous blessings that I've enjoyed all my life put the fear of God in me. Oh Lord, I've got to do something with this. If I were given this foundation at such a young age, I've got to be training and raising up. Twice as many, three times as many. I've got to make sure that I'm fulfilling my assignment and giving it away freely as it was given to me. We need, I'll say it this way for the charismatics, we need a spirit of teamwork. We need a heart and an attitude of laboring together where we're on the same team. But here's what happens when we miss the mobilization and activation of being sent out. We start squabbling. We start bickering. We start arguing about who's the head of the hospitality ministry and you moved my picture frame and you... Oh, stop. Why? Because we got off mission and we started just feasting on each other's flesh. And we need to realize that we exist to bless this community. Our father's house is here, planted in Avon, Indiana, to be a lighthouse in Hendricks County and to be a blessing to as many people and as many churches as we possibly can. We want to see as many pastors, as many leadership teams, as many as we can set on fire for the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Wouldn't it be fantastic if the Baptists and the Methodists and the Presbyterians got filled with the Holy Ghost... Because a bunch of tongue-talking wild people got filled with the Spirit and said, you know what, I may not have a formal education, but when you get around me, you're going to recognize that I'm one that's been with Jesus. And you recognize those that have been with Jesus. I love the one lady that said, I don't believe in speaking in tongues, but I like to listen to preachers who say they do. Said, I can feel and hear the difference in their preaching. Like, you're, you're telling on yourself, ma'am. Somehow that had to do with collaboration. Number 14 is ordination. This is a function of apostolic ministry, setting the church in order and proper function. Why? To reform and restore the blueprint and the pattern. We see in Acts 14.23 that the apostolic ministry... Of Paul and Barnabas was to set hands, to lay hands on elders, to set them in. Actually, when Paul did not have time to do it, he writes to his apostolic son Titus, so much for pastoral letters. He writes to his apostolic son Titus in Titus 1 5, and he says, Set in order the things that remain, setting in elders and the New Testament teaches that there's elders set in in every town and every city. 
So elders, plural, functioning together. We'll get to more of this in January. But elders pastor the flock together. There's a plurality and a team of men that are mutually submitted to one another and accountable to each other that not one person is the head. Why? Because Christ Jesus is the head. Actually, the great sin of the senior pastor model is that it hides Christ and obscures people from following him and people just follow their pastor. When God has set forth plurality and team in the earth where there's preferring and deferring and honoring to one another. Y'all, I know that we're in the midst of leaders falling like flies and it makes me really sad. But if there were ever a time to advocate for plurality, I think it's now. I'm not trying to put salt in anybody's wounds, but how many more Mike Bickles do we need to figure out that someone having absolute power corrupts absolutely? We need accountability. If you do not have people in your life that can tell you that was a bad idea or you need to shut up, you don't have accountability in your life. You need to have people that say, man, I don't think the Holy Ghost was with you. I don't think that was a good idea. Or I disagree. Can we talk about it? And the heart is not for dissension. The heart is for real unity. Unity doesn't come through a vote. It comes through submission to Christ. What does Jesus want? Let's do what he wants. There's no voting in the New Testament church, by the way. No committees. No boards, B-O-R-E-D. Well, let's ask the board. The, the board of what? The board of directors because this is a business? Was this Eli Lilly? The, the, the board. Uh, Y'all, this is New Testament government DNA. Elders, plural, functioning, shepherding together, laying down their lives for the people of God, serving, giving, honoring, showing up first and leaving last, pouring out their lives. I've said it to you before. I'll say it to you again. Our Father's house, you are so blessed. You don't have one. You don't have two. You have three pastors, three elders that are giving their lives, that have been in training for over a year, reading studying, giving, serving, practicing, loving, praying, and committing their lives along with their wives. You've got six. You've got deacons. You've got the fullness of what Jesus paid for. Why? Because elders and deacons are God's insurance policy. They're His way of making sure that His church is in proper working order and everybody gets the water of life. It's so that there's green grass and potable water for people to drink and eat of who Christ is. Number 15, last one. There's 15. You made it. Is multiplication. I submit to you that the ministries of shepherds and teachers often have with them addition, which is awesome. There is a multiplication factor in the ministries of apostles where rather than 2 plus 2, it's 3 times 3. What that means is that, yes, there are those that are constantly being added to the number, but there is a multiplying for exponential growth, but not just numerically. There is an exponential faith for finances that accompanies apostolic ministry. When you hear the words great grace, 
which comes from Acts 4.33. This is in the context of finances and people being liberated about their money and giving freely. Why? Because this is the apostolic injection and infusion that causes us to get up off of our wallets and give our everything to God. And when people are fully surrendered to God, you don't have to convince them to tithe. You don't have to beg them and get them to sign a sheet that lists their income and causes them to pledge 10% of their salary to the church. I, I wish that wasn't normal, but it is. No, there, there's a free will offering. There's a out of the heart. I, I tell people when, when offering baskets are passed in a place or when giving is mentioned, this is the moment in time where vision and provision meet. In other words, you either believe in the ministry that you're a part of or you don't. You either say, I'm in agreement with what God is doing and I want to help to fund it and I want to be a part of it and I want to have my heart in it. Why? Because sowing into good soil brings about the blessing of God. You want to sow into soil that's going to bring 30, 60, 100 fold. You want to be a part of saying, hey, I believe in what God is doing. But I fear that so many people never graduate from giving their money out of obligation. Like, I feel bad. It's like, wow, that was a really good service. I'm going to tip and put $10 in. I would encourage you to keep your money and get surrendered in your heart. Because where your treasure is, your heart will be also. There's no reason in the earth why people laboring and living for the gospel and the glory of God should lack. One of the things that provokes me deeply is when I go places and I minister and I hear of needs and everybody is sitting around just staring at the need. I'm like, whoa, what are we doing? Are we a mobilized people? Are we an activated people? Are we alive to the Spirit of God? No, we need to be raising money and funding kingdom works. I'm grateful that in my life, God has partnered me with some amazing friends that are like, I just believe that it's my goal to make millions and fund the kingdom. But you know what the church says? Oh, you need to be a pastor. You've got a call of God on your life. And, and we shame business owners. Like if you get to hold a microphone on Sunday, you're important. But if you're really good at earning wealth, you're less significant. But when we have a building project, we really like you now. Yeah. Oh, let's write special letters to the rich people in the church. Am I telling the truth? Yeah. Oh, God, help us. What have we done? We're trying to build our own kingdom. And yeah, it takes money to do ministry. But if you have questions or you have issues or you just don't believe in the stewardship that's going on, y'all, I'm going to leak it. I won't tell you the amount. But some of y'all's jaws are going to hit the floor when next Sunday we tell you how much money this little ministry has given away in benevolence and missions and supporting other ministries. We, we may be small in number and few in dollar, but by God, we're going to give it away and fund the kingdom and bless people as often as we can. Uh, this isn't like, oh, well, we don't have it in the budget. Here's what the Lord said to me. I want, I want to move my church, but it's not in the budget. He can't even budget. 
Because we're still stuck on our metrics and our spreadsheets and treating the church of Jesus with profit and loss. And we have people that say, we can't give to the poor because it's a liability. I'm telling you the truth. You might not want to hear it. It's ugly. It hurts. But it's real. We can't support this little church that's trying to start a, a, a missions organization in India. Why? Because if we rent a van for them and they crash the van, we're going to be, oh yeah, now here we got all the business minds in the room. The church of Jesus is not a business. And this is a hill I will die on. You can shoot me through now. Are there business aspects and realities? Yes. Do we have a 501c3 tax-exempt status? Yes. Do we pay this and that to do the thing right? Yes, we do, of course. We want to render to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. We pay our payroll taxes, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> but at the end of the day, if it's not a spiritual stewardship, if it's not a heart to bless and serve and honor and give, if it doesn't stretch us in our faith, then maybe we're building our own kingdom and not the kingdom of God. Stand to your feet. Father, I pray for the multiplication of this house. Just pray with me for 30 seconds. I pray for the multiplication of this ministry. Lord, I thank you for the destiny and the kingdom of God. For this house to multiply. I thank you, Lord, that you've planted this church to plant other churches. I thank you, Lord, that you've won disciples here to win other disciples. God, I'm asking right now in Jesus' name that you would put multiplication in our thinking. Lord, would you deliver us from putting it all in money and programs and people and help us, Father, to think kingdom. Lord, deliver us from the residue of religion. Help us, Father, to get a kingdom paradigm and perspective Lord I thank you that you've called this church to plant churches I thank you Lord that you've called this house to raise up leaders who train up other leaders Lord I thank you that the destiny and the ministry here is so much bigger than anything we could ask or think or imagine Father I thank you that week after week month after month as you build your house the haters and the critics and the naysayers continue to fall silent because your victorious hand is building this house and I praise you Lord that the gates of hell will not prevail Lord I pray that this would truly be an apostolic church that this would be a house that funds your kingdom somebody help me this morning that this would be a house that sows into other ministries and churches and church plants. God, I pray that you would use this house to win many souls. Lord, there are so many that are lost and broken and hurting, that need to hear of the good news of Jesus Christ, that need to be brought into a spiritual family with healthy brothers and sisters and uncles and aunts and mothers and fathers. God, would you let our Father's house be that place? And would you give us a vision? 
Would you connect us to something bigger than our own church and our own thinking and our own tomorrow? Lord, we bless the churches and the ministries that are ordained by you that are right here in our county and in our state. Father, we pray for kingdom connections right now. Lord, we ask that you would open so many of the doors that have been closed. We ask, Father, that the way that religion has made people territorial and competitive. Father, we're asking that you would break that stronghold in Hendricks County. That you would bring your churches and your pastors and your leaders into unity to honor you and glorify you. Would you help us, Holy Ghost, to multiply, to reproduce, to raise up and train up. God, I pray that this house would be an army of soul-winning machines. Lord, we ask that you would forgive us for our apathy and evangelism. God, that you would forgive us for not sharing the gospel. That you would forgive us for passing by the orphan and the widow. Lord, forgive us for not being like the Good Samaritan, but for being religious and self-righteous and passing by the wounded because we don't have time. God, would you burden us and break our heart for what breaks yours. Lord, I know that this is not comfortable and this is painful and this comes with a cost. But Lord, we're willing to pay the cost. God, whatever it takes for people to know Jesus. Father, we just want people to know your son. We just want people to hear of the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus, you're our apostle. We bless you. We honor you and we thank you for being sent by the Father and for sending us as you were sent. So we go now this day, this Christmas Eve, to be sent out, sent to our families. God, I pray that revival would break out in living rooms tomorrow. I pray, Father, that the dysfunctional drunk uncle that's always been that way would encounter Christ, would have a Holy Ghost moment and baptism. God, I pray that those that are living in darkness, those that hate Israel, those that are deceived, God, would you wake them up in Jesus' name? Would tomorrow be the most ridiculous, powerful Christmas that we've ever had? Lord, let intercession and prayer break out. Let repentance take place. Let reconciliation between hard hearts take place by the power of your Spirit. God, I thank you that you've not given us the family that we have just to tolerate them. Just to ignore them. God, you've made them family that we might win them to you. You've placed us in their lives that they would hear. Of who you are and what you've done. God bless us your people. Thank you Lord for your grace that's with us. Jesus we thank you that you're our Emmanuel. That you know what it's like and you understand. Far more than we could ever imagine. We love you Lord. And we thank you Father. Would you mobilize us. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Y'all Merry Christmas. Let's give the Lord some praise. Put your hands together. Thank you, Lord. Aren't you grateful for Jesus? Let's live lives worthy of Him. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. Merry Christmas.